your copy of God's Word. Open it, if you would, to Matthew chapter 12 this morning, please. Matthew chapter 12, we begin in verse 1. There's an irony to this passage of Scripture because Jesus has just finished talking about how there remains a rest for the people of God, a Sabbath rest. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus can do a lot more with your problem in a moment than you can do with it in a lifetime. Amen? But we have to come to him in repentance and faith. And now, just as Jesus has preached about Sabbath rest for those who need it, the Pharisees call him out for practicing it. Look at Matthew chapter 12 and beginning in verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence? which is not lawful for him to eat, nor those who were with him, but only for the priest. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and yet are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? He said to them, Which one of you has a sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out. And it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. I know I received some arguments in this room, but I also know that I'm right on this, and that is that the Andy Griffith Show is the greatest TV show of all time. And in one particular episode, Barney is all about obeying the law, getting everyone else to obey the law. He sees his nemesis, Gomer Pyle, running down over making a U-turn where he's not supposed to make a U-turn, parking on the wrong side of the street. He calls him out. Gomer's not happy about it. He says, Barney, we're friends. Why are you giving me a ticket? And Barney says, if I make an exception for you, I make an exception for everybody. In fact, even I'm not above the law. You can yourself make a citizen's arrest if I'm in violation of it. And Barney takes the shortcut to go back around to the courthouse, takes a U-turn, and Gomer cries out, citizen's arrest, citizen's arrest, puts Barney in jail for For three days, the whole town of Mayberry is in outcry. If you will look at what the Pharisees are are doing, Jesus will tell you he is not coming to destroy the law. He's coming to fulfill it. But at every point along the way, they are trying to catch him with a spiritual citizen's arrest. You didn't do it right, Jesus. You didn't say it right. You you didn't have it set on, on the right foot. And Jesus says, I am here to show you what is the spirit of the law rather than simply the letter, to show you its intent rather than merely its form. And if we're not careful, 
we can get into a mindset of the law that really isn't a whole lot different than what the Pharisees had. A lot of what Jesus says makes the Pharisees mad because he exposes their self-righteous ways. And so the disciples, while traveling on the Sabbath day, they pluck some grains of corn and they begin to eat. And you remember the Old Testament laws actually allowed for eating from the fields of neighbors. In fact, the Israelites were required to leave some grain on the edges of their fields for foreigners and travelers, orphans and widows. In fact, that's how Ruth met Boaz. So ladies, if you're looking for that, that fiancé, that future husband, go out into the fields of Israel. They'll leave it for you. You can meet and everything will be great after that. And these religious leaders, even though they know this to be the case, attempt to trap Jesus. And here's their problem. They think they're doing God's bidding, but in fact, they're doing Satan's blocking because they are opposing God. A lot of people do things in the name of God that doesn't have anything to do with God, and the only way you can tell whether or not they're right is to back it with God's Word. Don't listen to somebody just because they say they're a messenger from God. See if it backs the Word of God, and that's exactly what Jesus does, the Word himself, to the Pharisees when he goes back to the Old Testament. Now, we've seen even at the beginning of creation that God rests on the Sabbath day, not because he's tired, but in order to set an example of what work and rest should look like. And that's why the commandment is remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That is to keep it sacred, to keep it set apart because it is set aside as a day of holiness before the Lord. Now, rest assured, Sabbath rest was mandatory in Scripture. But what the Pharisees had done was to add this massive set of extra stipulations to the, to the Sabbath law. They were the IRS of their day, so to speak, so that people would not be able to violate it. And in the process, they went after the letter of the law rather than the spirit of the law. They went after its form rather than its intent. Happens a lot of times in church if we're not careful because how we do things isn't nearly as important as why we do things. The methods are always changing, constantly, over and over again. But the why of the message never does. And Jesus will say to them and to the Pharisees, they've spent so much time working out how they do things that they forget about the why. And if you don't know why you're doing it, who cares about how you're doing it? So he says to them in Mark 2.27 in a different passage, do you not realize that Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath? These laws were meant for a blessing, not a burden, for your joy, not for the thief of joy, for a, not for a duty, but for a delight. And he says to them, you're so focused on what you're doing or how you're doing it that you've forgotten why you're doing it in the first place. Easy to do that in church life. Easy to do that in life in Christ, period. To forget about the why. He says to them, you're so caught up in expanding the law of Moses, but behold, someone greater than Moses is here. You're obsessed with surpassing the wisdom of Solomon, but someone greater than Solomon has arrived. And by choking out this intent of the Sabbath, they miss the whole point of the rest that Jesus offers in Matthew 11, which is fellowship and communion with God. 
We can too. And then he uses the example from the Old Testament in which the Pharisees were supposed to be well-versed to prove his point. He said, don't you remember that David ate the bread of the presence, those 12 loaves that would have been baked each Sabbath to remember God's covenant? He says, have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath, and yet they're, they're guiltless? They eat the bread, and yet God doesn't hold them guilty. And now he says, something greater than the temple is here. Someone greater than just the synagogue has arrived. And then Jesus gets to the heart of the matter, as he so often does. He says, if you had known what this means, that I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. What a statement. So mercy is greater than sacrifices. You know, sacrifices and altars are not ultimately what God wants. It's not about what you can give up or just how simply you can deny yourself. Instead, Psalm 51:17, David says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. He'll go on to say, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. More than your sacrifices more than your altars, more than how you go about keeping the law, is your spirit right today? Pharisees kept every law there was, but their hearts were in the wrong place. Later on, Jesus will say, if you had known what this means, if you had really known what this means, you would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You know, God gives his people Sabbath rest in order to relieve their burdens, not so that observing the Sabbath would become a burden. He who neither slumbers nor sleeps does so that you might have rest. And if you spend a fraction of your time worrying about your problems rather than leaving them to the Lord, it's really wasted time. That's why he says, cast your burdens on him, because the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. You know, some of us today, we're so focused on working that we miss out on the rest that God offers you in Christ. You got dollar signs in front of your head. You, you want to provide for your family. You want to do the absolute best you can, but, but you're so close to money that you can't tell whether or not you're earning it or whether you're falling in love with it. And if all you've got is money at the end of the day, you don't have a whole lot. Some of us are on the other end of that. We're, we're so lazy that we don't get to enjoy the rest God offers because we're constantly having to catch up on the work you've done. Sabbath rest anticipates something. It anticipates that you've worked the rest of the week, and therefore you need rest. Jesus asked them a particular question to put them in their place. He says, if you're there on the Sabbath day, and it's a holy day, would you not rescue your sheep from the pit on the Sabbath and indeed, that's what Jesus does with us. Psalm 40, he brought me up out of the pit, set my feet upon a rock. He relates it to the breaking of the law's curse. And Jesus will say, of how much more value is a man than a sheep? Now, in our culture, maybe not a whole lot. But in the biblical culture, it was. So it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. In fact, 
for you not to do good on the Sabbath would be a violation of God's law because James says, for the one to know, who knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. So you got someone arguing on one side of your shoulder, do good, someone on the other side of your shoulder saying, don't do good, and you're caught in this place of tension, and Jesus spells it out for you. If you have the opportunity to do good, do it. Just understand why it is that you do it. Because Jesus did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. That the law was given not as a curse, but as a a blessing. It's not meant for our provision, or rather our prevention, but for our protection, our good, and our, our joy. We ought to delight in the law of the Lord. You know, this past week... Uh, Jen and I have started meal prepping our, our, our meals. Well, I help somewhat, and then, you know, she preps, and I, I do the dishes or whatever I'm supposed to be doing. But we've done that in order to be able to save some cost on a, on a house purchase. There's a hole in my wallet right now. You know, if any of you want to come and visit once we close on this house, you're welcome to. Bring your own furniture because we don't have any and we can't afford any. But we looked at our, our, our budget put together and decided, you know, if we didn't go out to eat nearly as much as we did, we could do this, this meal prep. And so we're in the goal of budgeting and saving money. And I want to give her props. This week, she has done absolutely outstanding about making sure that we're in communication and, and knowing what's spent and all that. But I constantly catch myself, whether or not I am going after the letter of the intent or the spirit of the intent. If it becomes something legalistic where, man, if you get that $4 cup of coffee at Starbucks, we're going to be kicked out of the subdivision, that, that's not the intent of it. And I think there is this constant tension for people in keeping the law. What happens if I don't keep the law of God? What happens if I don't keep it in its exact form? Then it becomes legalistic. And so now it becomes not just about the God I serve, but about how I I, I dress a certain way or sing certain songs. I mean, it's not even about, for some people, whether or not I believe the Word of God. It becomes the version of the Word of God. It becomes an entire layer of laws that God never intended for you to have. And if you live your life thinking that God is always out to get you, if you break one letter of the law, you don't understand that you've already broken the whole law anyway. You may as well break them all. Because mercy is greater than sacrifice. When you start measuring the letter of the law rather than the spirit of the law, you've missed the whole point of the law. How many of you remember blue laws in America? Don't raise your hand. You're going to give away your age. Blue laws. For those of you that are under a certain age, it meant that everything was closed on Sunday. And so guess what people did? They didn't have anything else to do. They came to church. You know, I'd like to create some blue laws for travel ball. That's just my opinion, but that's a whole other sermon. But keeping the laws in the world is not enough to take away your sin. So you have to underscore the law of God with the mercy of God. It's not given in order for us to be saved, but because we are saved. We shouldn't serve God because we have to, but because we want to. Because our affections have been set on things above and not on things of the earth. I remember as a 10-year-old kid, there was a Wednesday night when, when we missed church, and I thought that I was breaking God's law, and I was worried that entire night that I would be sent to hell for missing church. It's because I was serving God out of obligation. 
rather than out of love. You got to ask yourself, are you here today because it's your duty or because it's your delight? Listen to what one author said. Instead of being a list of rules that were basically unobtainable for us in our own strength, God's laws are now written on the fleshly tablets of our hearts. As Scripture says, they become our delight. They become our joy. And we obey them because it is our desire to do so. David says, I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. So many of you worried about, if I do the will of God, I'm going to miss out on my life. It's such a struggle. It's such a burden. David says, no, no, when you surrender to it, and when you submit to it, and when you give it all over to him, it's not a burden. It's a joy to serve the Lord. And heaven forbid, why is Sunday morning oftentimes the most miserable day on earth for many of us? If you just look at our faces... It's because we're under the curse of the law rather than under the yoke of Christ. It's because we view it as a burden rather than as a blessing. It's because we think the law is about prevention rather than protection. It's because we see it as a source of misery rather than as the fount of all joy. See, what you have to understand is this. People will look at your reputation and they'll call you out for things that you have done. And your response shouldn't be to be offended at them or shouldn't be you're off track. It ought to be, is that all you've got? Because let me tell you, I've done a lot worse than that. Because in the sight of God, if you've broken one of the law, you've broken them all. But God, in his mercy, hasn't given us what what we deserve. He has given us grace. And so the question is today, not what laws are you keeping. The question is today, where is your walk with God? Because Christ has set you free. And you're no longer under the law of slavery, but the law of liberty. And the greatest commandment of all, the greatest law ever written in Scripture, is the law of love. What's the most loving thing I can do for this person? Hey, it's not unkind to speak truth to someone And yet it's harsh not to back up that truth with love. Jesus shows us the illustration of the man with the withered hand who had likely been condemned by the rest of society. If you had some kind of physical deformity or skin issue or malady in the ancient world, it was because not that you had a medical condition, but because you had a curse on your family. It meant you weren't living right. And so you were often cast outside of the camp because of this. This man with a withered hand, not being able to socialize with society, not being able to be there with people. And Jesus says, what is it lawful to do? And he heals them. The Pharisees' problem isn't that Jesus healed. It's that they didn't do, he didn't do what they wanted him to do at a given time. He didn't treat the man the way that they had been treating the man. And this is what we've got to ask as the church of God. Are we a church that wants people nobody else wants? See, a lot of people will want families that have it all together, that have a lot of money, that have everything seemingly on the outside looking together, but that's not the church of God. The church of God is the church that no one else wants. Listen to this. Lord, give us those no one else wants 
Give us those who are, who are destitute, who are hurting, whose lives have been wrecked by sin. Let them walk through our houses, our schools, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, and churches, and sense the presence of the love of Christ. May they be overwhelmed with the power of the gospel and be forever changed, and may we love them as you have loved us. Lord, give us those no one else wants. And when he gets to the end of all that, having fed the disciples, having healed the man with the withered hand, the Pharisees don't rejoice and have a revival service. It says they seek how they might destroy him. This miracle takes place and they plot murder in response. Dear friends, when God works among us, we'd better celebrate I've gotten two speeding tickets in my life, and I haven't had to pay either one, one of which I didn't deserve. The first one was with Brother Richard, my pastor, when we were trying to move his sister, and we were in a hurry in Louisville. He told me not to tell my mom and dad, and he paid the parking ticket, and they didn't know until after he had gone to be with the Lord. Maybe still don't know. The second one, when I was the pastor of Mount Tabor Baptist Church in LaRue County, I was coming home from a long day of seminary there on Highway 60, and I was going and I got pulled over because I didn't recognize what my speed was, and the officer said, well, I'll have to write you up. The next day I get a phone call. It just happens to be from one of my members who works in the clerk's office. Be sure your sin will find you out. She knew the county attorney, went and talked to the county attorney. county attorney rebuked me and let me off. The truth is that we're all guilty before God. And we may not be guilty of the accusations of the Pharisees. We're guilty nonetheless in that we've committed sin. But Jesus has made a way for us by paying a debt he didn't owe on a debt we owed but could not pay. And when we understand Sabbath rest within its proper context, we recognize that we are not dependent on our work but on God's work in us. See, you ought to work in everything you do for the glory of God. My biggest frustration in church life is sometimes we do things that are just good enough. We do things half-heartedly. None of you would show up and do a job halfway if you expect to be paid, but you come and do it in the Lord's house. It ought to be the greatest of everything in God's house. Don't give him halfway. But I have to also understand that my work is not my worth. My worth is only found in what Jesus did for me on the cross because the greatest intent of the law is to serve God's people, not for God's people to serve the law. And so again, he comes back to say, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God if you will enter into it. I want us to bow our heads for a few moments while our musicians come. Just a few moments, the service will have concluded. We're going to have a time of invitation and a time of response. And I just want you to consider in these few moments that we have, I know everyone's gearing up for a holiday weekend. Thank God that even with a country with as many problems as we have in the United States of America, what a blessing that it is to have the freedom to worship. And that only comes from having a free country. And so I hope this week that you take the time to thank the Lord for the freedom that we do have, not only to worship, but the freedom that we have in Christ. Friends, are you here this morning under the yoke of sin? Are you in bondage to sin today? Is there a sin that does so easily beset you? You can give it over to the Lord right now. Today, 
Are you trying to live under the burden of the law? You know, the law was meant to show that we couldn't keep it. That's why Jesus had to come. He's the only one without sin. Jesus the righteous. And if you live your life in such a way that you don't experience the freedom that you have in Christ, dear friend, you're missing out. That friend is that isn't a license for us to sin. Paul says, well, by no means should we sin because grace abounds. But it does show us that when we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Today, you can rest in what God has done on the cross for you. Today, you can keep his law, not because it's a burden, but because it's a blessing. Do you delight to do the will of God? Do you say, Lord, even before I know the question, yes is my answer. I'm all in for Christ. If you know the price that Jesus has paid, you can say that today. Father, I pray this morning that you would remind us of the great work that has been done on our behalf. Thank you that there remains a rest for the people of God. Thank you that the yoke of Jesus is easy. Thank you that his burden is light. Thank you that whosoever will may come to him and find rest for their souls. This morning, Lord, help us to rest in what you have done. Father, if there's someone here under the weight of sin, under the weight of the law, may today be the day of salvation. Help us to delight to do your will, for your law is within our heart. It's in the name of Jesus we pray for his sake.